Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. God has to be put first, and this is what he's laying out for these guys. I must come first. God must come first above everything, everything. That is the order, like God first, then marriage, then family, career, calling, all that stuff, God first. He has to be number one, he has to be number one. And you're not neglecting anyone or anything by putting him first in your life. Actually, you're enriching it. God makes it very clear multiple times throughout his word that his desire is to be first in our lives. It's something that everyone struggled with because oftentimes we don't realize the sneaky idolatry that we're participating in. Sometimes it's disguised as even a good thing. We can become so caught up in being a good parent that we idolize that over the Lord. In today's message, Pastor James shares about the importance of seeking first the kingdom of God. Then everything else will be added. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Haggai chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 7, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This is a common phrase throughout the entire, the entire letter. We've already seen it once in verse 5. Consider your ways. Verse 7, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? because of my house that is in ruin, while every one of you runs to his own house. Like, you've established your own dwelling place, but you've neglected my dwelling place. What's kind of cool about this is, like, for us on this side of the cross, and we can read through the New Testament and see that even Peter addressed this of, like, I mean, we know this. What is the church? The church is not a building. It's the people. And so if the people are, like, the dwelling places, Paul would write to the church in Corinth, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, right? Like you're a temple. This kind of speaks to us in a very personal level as well. Are we keeping up with the very dwelling place that God has selected and chosen to occupy within us? And we're going to get into some specifics concerning that, but I I don't want you to get into this mindset of like, well, this is like BC stuff, and we're talking about a temple that doesn't even stand anymore, and it doesn't... It's not relatable today. No, it's completely relatable today. And I think the church actually misses it probably because we think in these broad terms where it's like, well, does the Holy Spirit dwell inside of you? Okay. So it kind of makes you a temple, right? So how's the temple? How's that? Or are you just distracted with this and that? And I got to, what would the Lord have to say to me concerning this place that he occupies? Do I have ears to hear? And hopefully enough sense to, if there's correction, that I, I do what's necessary, you know, within a correction. But we can't have his house in ruins. Everybody else is sleeping good at night. And it's not like God's like, I got no place to live, right? We know that he doesn't need the temple. But what the temple represents is like, I should be the main thing in Jerusalem. But I'm not the main thing in Jerusalem. 
It would be as if we were a church and we neglected not just the word of God, but God himself. Jesus should be the main thing about every single church. If Jesus isn't the main thing about our church, then you're not a church, okay? And if you are, then it's not a healthy church. So God's like, my house is in ruins, but you guys are doing just fine. Something's wrong. Something's off there. So this is a nice, gentle rebuke, and this rebuke will lead to a good response. So verse 10, it says, therefore, the heavens above withhold the dew, the earth withholds its fruit. This is the consequences to their, um, I'm going to label it as kind of their selfishness, all right? For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands, right? God's like, um, if you're not catching on to like, man, we're planting all this stuff, we're doing all this work, and nothing's happening, God's like, yeah, because I'm not letting it happen. I'm not letting it happen. We're like, oh, God, that's so mean. You're so cruel. And he's like, well, maybe you're off. Like, maybe I need to get you back because the heavens that have been shut off can be opened up again. It's not like God's like, well, you blew it this one time, so we're forever done. He's just getting a hold of their attention so that they can correct course. And he would gladly open up the heavens again. Gladly. If in your life you're feeling this, in a spiritual sense, it's like, and I'm not saying every season of barrenness is due to you being off track, okay? I'm not going there, but that might be true. But it might be true. If we're honest, like, how many seasons of drought have I been through personally where it's like, it's not so much like a lesson that God is like showing me, but it's, it's a direct result of me just getting off track with him. I mean, that can be true. He can withhold the rain, so to speak, in your life because he needs to get a hold of your attention. All right, a loving God, a loving heavenly father knows how to gently correct his kids. And sometimes that means, well, all that work you're putting into that, that farmland, you're not going to get any crops. You'll still be fine. They're not starving to death, but they're just not getting what they want, though. So we've got to put God first. God has to be put first, and this is what he's laying out for these guys. I must come first. God must come first above everything, everything. That is the order. Like God first, then marriage, then family, career, calling, all that stuff. God first. He has to be number one. He has to be number one. And you're not neglecting anyone or anything by putting him first in your life. Actually, you're enriching it. You're doing that a favor. Whatever that is, you're doing it a favor by putting God first in your life, making him top priority. So that's all he's asking of these guys. I need to be first. Verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shealtiel, that's how you say it, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. So it's like mission accomplished. Haggai gets up there, and he's like, look, here's what God has told me. And they couldn't deny it, right? Because all you had to do was look over to the rubble. That's all you had to do, right? Like, we've been here for 16 years. 16 years. Maybe 15. 
that's still a pile of rubble. And you can't deny that. There's no arguing with God about that. Like, okay, God, this is what you called me to do. 16 years down the road, if it's still a pile of rubble, you are off track, okay? God hasn't done anything wrong. I'm off track if it's still a big old mess, okay? Yeah, but the foundation's laid. Yeah, but why are there still stones still on top of each other? in not an organized manner, but a very disorganized manner, right? Why isn't it the structure built? It's only going to take them four years to build the structure after this point. Four years to build the temple. They've been there 16. So they laid the foundation. They're like, this is really hard. Yeah, it's hard work. I think I'd rather just work on my own house. Okay. 16 years later, Haggai shows up and he's like, um, I'm sorry, but God gave me a message. It's like, we, you need to explain this mess. Well, you know, we, we need places to live. Yeah, you've had that for 16 years. What, what about his house? What about his calling upon your life? Like, you got set free from Babylon specifically for this thing. I'm glad your house is paneled. I'm glad that it's nice. But his is still in ruins. Well, we didn't have time. You had 16 years. And it's only going to take you four to build the temple. So there's no excuse, right? Like there's no denying it. So they heard the word and all they had to do was like, he probably was standing on the rubble of the temple probably and like, hey, we got to fix this. And they responded to the word of God, which is always smart. It's always smart. And what you can feel, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but reading through this letter several times, studying through it and all that, my takeaway concerning like the Lord is like, I, my goal is I just want to always hear the heartbeat of God when I'm like approaching a text. Like I just want to hear his heart. And even within this correction, it's like, he's so gentle. He's so loving. Like, I mean, this is, he's dealt with these knuckleheads for so many years and that's uh, their flat out rebellion and idolatry and wickedness and all that. And, and then he gets them back from Babylon. He's like, I just want you to build my house. And they still haven't accomplished that, but he's so loving and so gentle and so compassionate, and he knows how to send a prophet at the right time to say, hey, I think it's time to get back to work. I think it's time to get back on track. The leaders and the workers come together to accomplish the mission, which is always how it should be. If we're going to accomplish God's work, it's going to take leaders and workers coming together to accomplish the mission, which is what you have from whether it be the governor, to the high priest, to the prophet, they all go all hands-on with all the other laborers to accomplish the project. It's just a beautiful kind of imagery that's there. Chapter 1, verse 13 says, Then Haggai, the, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So good. So good. Like, it's amazing. He's like, you're off track. My house is still in ruins. Your houses look great. You know, HGTV, all that good stuff. Like, you're doing awesome. You're killing it. But my house is in shambles. I think it's time to get back on track. Time to get back on track. They, like, they come together and they're like, you're right. Lord, you're right. Let's get together and let's figure this thing out. And then the, the word from God to his people is, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just really cool to see how this plays out. And man, this can apply personally and it can apply corporately to where it's like, where's the church at? And what, what attention to detail and all that are we applying to this place? Because this fits within the story as well. Like when we gather together, it's like, 
Churches shouldn't be like heaps of rubble. They should be nice buildings in one sense. And I know it's not all about the building, but if we're doing this for the Lord, then we should give our best, right? Like, I think that makes sense. If I have people over my house, like, I don't want, you know, you know, the ceiling's falling off now and none of that. Like, you, we try to fix it up, right? Not, I'm not trying to impress anybody, but we want to, it should be clean. And that's one of the things, like children's ministry, you go in there, you ever have kids? What do you want? You want them to be dropped off in a safe, clean room right? Because if there's like roaches all in the rooms and all the stuff, we live in South Texas, anything and everything happens down here. But you know, like there's like sharp metal instruments hanging from the ceiling. It's like, I'm not letting my kid go in there. Like electrical wires are hanging out everywhere. It's like, finish the job, right? So it helps us like to apply this to our local congregations as well. Like, are we giving him our best? Are we giving him our best? You know, and that speaks well to any guests who walk through our doors. They should walk into the best we possibly have and can offer. And whatever that looks like, with whatever funds we have to work with, it doesn't matter. It just, we want to give our best. But that also applies personally in my life. Am I presenting to the Lord my best? My best. And he just knows how to whisper into your ear and into my ear, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, that's the God we serve. This is the God that we serve that nobody else on this planet with other religions serves. Their God isn't saying, I'm with you. Their God is saying, you better work harder to get to me. Or I don't even know what's going on in your world because I'm so distant. Our God that we serve, God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is like, I'm with you. Like, let's do this. Let's do this. Can't even imagine like what sort of like, jolt of electricity that would have sent through their hearts and their minds to hear the prophet stand before them and say, oh, I got another word from God. He's saying, I'm with you. Emmanuel, God with you. It's like, well, you don't want to kick us to the curb because we've kind of been slacking off in the last 16 years. It's like, no, I actually would like to work side by side with you. So it's just beautiful how that the Lord just knows how to speak a good word at the right moment. Even in the midst of correction, he knows how to come alongside and say, hey, don't lose sight of this. I am with you. Verse 14, it says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. They got stoked, is what he's saying there. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So he's like, man, they lit a fire underneath him. They're like, let's do this, right? Like, yeah. Oh, man, yeah, we've, we've lost track. Let's, let's get back on course and let's finish what God has started, so to speak. And they don't even have to finish it because it's he who works in you both to not only to start the project, but to complete the project that he's working in and through you. So... Good word for them. And then he goes into like messianic type, future prophecy type stuff here in chapter two. So in the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Okay, so this is around, close to around when the festival of tabernacles would have been going on. He gets another word. The Lord says, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the the son of Jehozadak, 
the high priest and to the remnant of the people, like get everybody together, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Right? So he's, he gathers the ones who had seen the temple before, right? And I have this quote from Warren Wearsby that says, the good old days are a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination, okay? Like, the good old days are nothing but a combination of a bad memory and a good old imagination, okay? Haggai has to gather everybody, and he's like, all right, you remember what the temple used to look like, and now what it looks like. And he's not doing this to bring them down or anything. He's doing this to, like, really to kind of encourage them of what's to come, okay? He's kind of setting the scene for them. He says in verse 4, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. There it is again, says the Lord of hosts. Be strong. Another quote from Warren Wearsby is, God's commandments are always accompanied by his enablements if we step out in faith. So if God is calling you to do something, he will provide for you whatever that gifting or ability that needs to be there, he will take care of that. But your part is to step out in faith. Like if you're waiting for like, this is how we do it when the Lord calls us to do something. Okay, Lord, I'll do that when you do this. And he's like, that's not faith. That's, that's you taking control of the wheel and telling me what to do. I'm telling you, go do this. And you're like, I can't do that. And he's like, I know. I know. It's called faith. Okay? And it's not an absence of, like, intellect. That's not what faith is. You can do the math. You can count the cost. But part of counting the cost of following Jesus as a disciple is to take steps of faith that you don't understand. you got to take a step out there. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I feel like you're telling me to do this. And a good portion of me feels like I'm going to fall flat on my face. But even if I do that, is that a fail? I mean, is it really a fail to like step out into something that you think that God's calling you to do? I mean, we in the church, I think we, we just kind of like, we sometimes beat each other up for getting it wrong. And I think there's this element, and maybe we don't do it, maybe it's just an internal thought process that we have that in, inhibits us from taking a step of faith, because they think like, well, what if I get it wrong, and what will people think of me? Who cares? Who cares? At least you got out of the boat, right? Twelve disciples, one got out of the boat, right? Did he sink? Yeah, totally. But at least he got out of the boat, like he took a step of faith. Did it make sense to walk on water? Not at all. No, it didn't at all. But Peter's like, hey, can I come out to you? And Jesus is like, come on, let's go. He's like, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to go for it. And he got his eyes off the prize, so to speak, and he went down. And that's fine. Jesus was right there to pick him up and throw him back into the boat. If the Lord's calling us to do something, sometimes he's asking us, like, just take the step. He didn't ask us to understand it. He's not always going to provide the, like, step two through ten. He's like, just, do you want to do this? Do you want to go for it? I really do, but the math doesn't add up. It's not what I asked. Do you want to do this? And you could get it wrong, and I can get it wrong, and you fall on your face, and that's fine, but 
my goodness, I, I always, I'm always reminded, pastor that I look up tremendously, Britt Merrick taught on this, and when he was going through the book of Acts, and he's like, we feel like we have to nail it every single time. And then if somebody goes out because they feel like the Lord's calling them to go out and to do, do something, and if they fail, then they come back feeling like failures, like losers. But we're like, no, that's not true, because at least you tried. At least you went out and did. 90-something percent of the church doesn't do anything. At least you went out and tried. Like, so the Apostle Paul, would he be a failure throughout all his missionary journeys? As he's going to the door, to the, basically the door of different countries, and he's knocking on the door like, all right, Holy Spirit, is this one it? No, Paul, that's, I don't want you going there. Okay, I'll try again. No, no, he got a lot of notes. Was he a failure? No, he's not a failure. He was just, I'm going to try this. Nope, not, that's not it. Okay, I'll just keep on going. I think we need to function more in that mentality than like, I don't want to make a move because I'm afraid of failure which speaks to my heart. Okay, perfectionists, this is paralyzing to you. You're like, I can't get it wrong. Says who? Says you. And only you. God's like, well, let's just see what happens. I think he's more of like, hey, I don't know. Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. He's your loving heavenly father. He's your Abba. He's your Papa. He's like, hey, step out in faith. You might get it wrong. That's fine. At least you learned a lesson, right? So then we don't have to go there. We know that, okay, that's definitely not what the Lord has for me. I think we, we got to function within this realm of like, man, if, if God's going to call you to do something or is asking you to step out in faith to do something, just take the step. See what happens. See what happens. I don't fear heaven at all. What I fear is like standing before the Lord and him being like, Ignore that mountain of possibilities that I had for you in your walk with me that you chose not to take a step of faith with. You know, it's, it's that type of step that's like, because that's a perfectionist mindset. That's how we work, right? But the Lord's, he's so gracious and loving. He's like, hey, here's a new day. Here's a new opportunity. How about you just take a step? Why don't you just trust me? You guys like cartoons? You should. They're way better. Well, they used to be better. Now they're all like, political and stuff, whatever, woke. Uh, I don't know. My favorite was, though, was Aladdin, which I guess is controversial because, I don't know, it's dumb. When movies were good and we didn't look too much into them for anything other than entertainment, there was this moment between Aladdin and Jasmine. She's the princess. He's the popper, basically. And he's on a magic carpet, right? And he cruises up to the palace and he extends a hand to her and he's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And she hops on. They sing one of the most beautiful songs ever. It's amazing. I could sing it word for word right now, but I'm not going to. But it, it's that moment of like, do you trust me? And I think there's more moments of that between God and us than what we realize. Where he's like, I, mean, I can show you some stuff. I can take you on a ride. Like, I can show you some things. But do you trust me? I'm not going there. You're like, he's, he's going to do it. No. The old theater, James, is about to break out. That guy's been suppressed for many years. Anyways, I think that's here in this story, the Lord's like, he's stoking the fire of these people. And he's like, I've called you to do this. I've done everything for you. I got you back where you need to be. I just need you to take a step of faith and to trust me. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken. 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for His children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me, a friendship that isn't second best. I urge you to not replace him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.